Welcome to Growing Unicorns, where every week, Holly Chen and me, Karina Edwards, come together with some fun guest hosts at a live interactive discussion where we unpack stories from the trenches while we're working with some of the fastest growing unicorns today. All right. Episode two, season two, Growing Unicorns. You have Holly and Karina here, and it's just the two of us, but we're here to drop solid gold, as we already talked about earlier. Everything we say will be solid gold. Yes, yes, (laughs) per usual. All right, I'm going to just dive right in, and I think the hot topic to start with is SEO and paid search. Like, how do they work together? Should one come before the other? What is the partnership or what is the existence for these two things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a classic question. Yeah, I feel like every every company have encountered this at some point in their in their life cycle. And of course, SEO takes a while to build. If you don't have any SEO juice or or foundation, it takes like six months to see a good result. And then for paid, you can see results probably in two weeks as you start to put things together and and, and start you know. Spending- <coughs> Traffic. So, like the there's instant gratification and there's a, a delay gratification. The pros for SEO is it lasts pretty much like very long time. So once you have built an, an article or piece of content or your landing page in SEO optimized way and then it ranks, the juice will build over time. It can increase over time as well as you have more backlinks that connects back to you. And it is possible that you have a hit for your blog post that garnered a, a lot of traffic for a week, and then it will slowly die down. But if you refresh those articles, for example, you know, like top 10 CMS in 2020 got a lot of traffic and rank it for you. And then you refresh it for 2021 and 2022, like it can bump back up of those traffic, even though the, the traffic will slowly go down over time. So like you can actually refresh it and have it rank higher again. So SEO is this thing, it's a marathon, but it can sustain your, your health for a while. And then for, for paid media, because it's more immediate for a lot of paid media channels, like, you know, for example, search, that's more conversion focused and intent driven, you can get high intent conversions right away. But at the same time, it may not last. As soon as you stop running paid media, you don't see the clicks coming in. Of course, there's uh, more upper funnel channels, like like more, more consideration awareness channels, like your, your billboard and your paid social channels or your programmatic display channels. And some of those channels is more giving people an impression of your brand and the messaging of your brand. And people may not act right away and they may act sometime later. So there is a delayed effect, but typically that effect, of course, depends on your product. It doesn't last like that long, like months or years onwards. So for companies, um, thinking about the short-term versus long-term, term and the speed is probably one important factor to consider paid media versus um, organic. I totally agree with everything you just said. And I think like I've actually implemented a strategy where the way that I think about SEO and paid search is like, because SEO takes so long, like paid search is like something you just can't get around, especially when you're talking about 
you know, you're trying to compete in, you're a new competitor in an existing category, right? Like where they've had all the time to spend on SEO, they have ads running, they probably have a bigger budget than you. Like there are ways where you can lean on paid search and it feels like a hard cost for a while while you're building SEO to eventually replace those top of funnel keywords. So for example, when I worked for a company in the past, right, there was one like it was pretty much the brand category. And so we wanted to make sure that we were a player in that space. So when people were searching for this tool, like we were considered like an actual competitor too. And we could also be a a part of the consideration process. That keyword from like a PVC perspective was ridiculous in terms of like the cost per. And so it was like, okay, let's pay for this now because the opportunity cost of not being there with those competitors is big for us you know, this was like a higher ACV, more enterprise product. And then with SEO, the goal is like, I do think that you should continue to pay for high converting, high intent keywords kind of forever, because it is just a really easy way to be there when the customer is ready to buy, but also replacing really low intent top of funnel keywords from your paid search strategy and trying to figure out how to rank for those organically because then over time, right, you're not spending all this money just to basically like educate your users because the chances that those are actually high converting, right, are going to be your like top 10 type search terms or what is demand gen marketing, right? Like those are things where like typically that person searching that is not in a buying cycle typically. And so, yeah, that's, that's the way that I think that they work together. And yeah, like the sooner you can start SEO, the better off you're always going to be. And I think it's a, it's also like dynamic forever. Like there's never like a point in time where you stop doing SEO. I think even once you hit stride, there's still opportunities to, like you said, like refresh your content or reposition or repurpose and continue building. But that's how I've seen companies that either I've worked with or worked at kind of not have to pad their paid search budget so much. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they they can work together really well. The the data we get from paid search, what keywords people click on or like what kind of messaging people respond to can definitely be used in crafting your SEO and content strategy. Right? And the 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 best the best performing keywords probably indicate some kind of interest and intent from people. So you can you can build um a, a content around them. Um at the same time, you are best performing SEO articles or or content is can be amplified by paid media right you can you can put money behind actually driving people to those pages and either to capture those interests or directly convert them so like the, the the data sharing and experience sharing between these two functions and teams are um, super helpful yeah totally and I think that kind of brings in Also like the channel mix perspective is like once you can leverage SEO to hit kind of like the top of funnel more like consideration education phase, then how do we use other cheaper channels, right? To, to leverage like, okay, if you've seen this, like really top of funnel blog post talking about what is demand gen marketing, how can we retarget you elsewhere where that you're living online, right? From a place of like conversion. So yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Like the the retargeting is the the secret of like actually converting those top of funnel interests, people who may not be ready to actually nudge them a little bit and say, well, like, what do you think? Or like, here's more resources and help them to 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 do better research and uh, better educated to eventually convert. Yeah. Awesome. What else? Anything else on that topic? It, I, I'm always um, fascinated by the the topic of, of brand search. <laughs> <laughs> I know Karina, you and I have like have debated on this as well, right? Yeah. Like I have yeah. I have this like uh, uh, opinion that if you rank for your brand terms and like in position one, you shouldn't run brand search. And like I know a lot of people think differently. <laughs> Yeah, and so I I would love to hear from you. Uh, like, how do you think about like brand search and its its role, and when do you think a companies should run brand search? I think it's so. There's so many dependencies. Like that's such a loaded question because for me, <laughs> okay, I feel like a lot of the companies that are getting into these like brand search or like competitor campaign wars, which again, we've talked about where it's like, they're using your name or they're bidding on your brand name, right? Like those companies have way too much budget, like just way too much budget that they can do that type of stuff. And so when you're talking about a company where it's like earlier stages, we're just trying to figure out scale from a paid perspective. Like, yeah, if you're already ranking, it doesn't make any sense for us to start like even creating that problem for ourselves or like wasting the budget, right? Right now we need to focus on like scaling an actual engine that is going to be headed towards like customers that are actively in a buying cycle, which typically too, with with more of like a product-led growth or a product that there are a lot of users who may not be buyers, like how many people are actually clicking on that? You know, that's another issue, right? Where like, how do you separate? And I loved this was a total huge tangent, typical Karina with like ADD. But you know, when you have a product where your users are coming to your homepage to both use the product, like they're an existing customer and they're signing in versus like they're a new prospect and like they were for acquisition, how do you separate like that, those users from everything that you're doing on the paid search side? I know that there are ways like tactically to really get around it, but I also think that's an element of like putting up brand campaigns and PPC. This also goes into just like, I think there are a lot of paid media agencies when they're talking about like the easiest way to pump budget and like the easiest, and I'll probably get shit for this, but like the easiest way to show inflated performance is from a brand campaign. (laughs) Yeah. Right? (laughs) <laughs> sorry y'all. oh yeah our, our cost comparison is like three dollars yes. yeah. it's all searching for your brand name of people who already you have a 50 percent conversion rate for everybody that searched for you what do you think <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i agree i, I feel like uh, like uh, if there's a like a huge competitive scenario right it's like five other people are bidding for your brand term and 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 you're you're actually getting pushed to the sixth position absolutely you got to be very competitive around that and then good good news is you can spend a, a lot less money to rank number 1 for your paid position because you own that like brand name and it was so funny anecdote rank rank number 1 for for organic and, and no one else was bidding for for the sack keyword and then one day we saw H&M and bidding for slacks. <laughs> really? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like, oh, cool, interesting. Yeah, like yeah. we actually have some competition now, uh, and uh, so we started bidding on on Slack brand words, and then I think like in less than a week, they stopped bidding on Slack. So, yes, you can defend your brand pretty effectively yeah. in the competitive positioning. Yeah, but and then like the alternative to that is if you don't have as much budget as your competitor competitors, like if you're a late person to enter that market, like it's going to be hard if you start that war to beat somebody who has 5x the budget as you. So it's kind of like a slippery slope similar to the experience that we had, right? Like if you open those doors, then we have to be ready to really like push budget in those places. So yeah, and then I think from like a management perspective, I've seen in my experience just working with paid media agencies and just in my past experience where there's not typically somebody managing the relationship to understand like what the difference is between a brand, you know, campaign versus like a non-brand campaign and what the different keywords, like how we should be bidding. And so it's very easy to show high performance on brand, obviously, than it is for just non-brand keywords. Yeah, yeah. In early days, I think like a non-brand is like no brainer, especially the the category you belong in that's more functional and utility based. So like what the product actually does and bid on those non-brands to capture those lowest hanging fruit uh, of people who are looking for a solution like you. And then the topic of, oh, should we bid on something that's more top of funnel, right? Like, should we bid on remote work or should, should we bid on future of work. And, and those keywords sounds very good and pertinent. It's like, yeah, of course, we're a like future of work tool. But uh, people who search for those keywords are very top of funnel. Yeah. Right? It's so, so for a smaller startup, you don't have that amount of budget to bid on those, those keywords, like you said. But for a public company that has like tons of money and just really want to own that particular conversation and will just like show up, in a big way with its brand and its like thought leadership of like what future work means and and and, and want to share that and build that that context around it. Yeah, like it may be, but it's really important to set expectations to understand what is the goal of that particular keyword that's probably not going to convert into a customer. It's it's probably more like, oh, let's let's build a conversation around it that eventually will convert uh, hopefully like sometime down the road. Yeah, 100%. Like I think that falls back into the example that I was sharing earlier where it's like, if you're new to the market or there's like you're lacking brand awareness and there are people who are earlier to the market or companies that were earlier to the market and have a lot more years or budget on you in the space. Like there is a strategy that, that the goal is not conversion for certain keywords, but it is brand awareness and being able to show up in that space with those other, other competitors for something that you're new to, or that we lack brand awareness for, but it's just setting, you know, the precedent or the initiative that like, we're not trying to convert with this, but it's like, we need to be a player in the space and show that we live here. So if it is remote work, like we are a remote, remote work tool, right. And we also can compete with these other people that are as well, but then there needs to be a longer term strategy of like, how can we show up there without paying for it? at a like $50 cost per click, which is never going to convert for us over time. So that's where like SEO would come in through there. 
Yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like sometimes people think about the role of a channel in a very singular way. So say like, oh, search, search is a conversion channel. Uh, no, not necessarily. Search can play a lot of different roles, just like TV can play a lot of different roles. Like there's p- performance TV, right? It's like, you know, Ryan Reynolds is very into like, <laughs> performance TV. So, you know, that's a thing. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The role of the channel is, is not singular and it can serve in many different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like, you can fall into a whole line of like thinking about attribution. And I think there was this era that was happening probably still happening of like marketers, especially in the B2B space, when you're, especially when you're talking about like enterprise high CV products, where you had the CFOs being like, every dollar you put it out in that market or every dollar you use as a marketing team needs to be like spelled out for like, where, what did that bring back in? And like, we just know that marketing doesn't work that way. Like there are some, there are some angles where we can capture existing demand very quickly and find high intent and leveraging those channels. But what about the rest of the funnel that is like not there yet? Like, what are we doing for those? And there are ways to target those people. I feel like in every channel, right? But it just needs to be the understanding across the entire org that like not everything in marketing is dollar in, dollar out immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's move on to the next topic. So next topic is should companies hire growth marketers or product marketers first? So obviously being very specific about, you know, new marketing orgs or just new companies in general or early stage. Yeah. Yeah. There's two questions. It's like, should you hire a growth marketer before product market fits? And there's like, should you hire a product marketer versus a growth marketer as your first marketing hire? Yeah. yeah. Partially is like the complexity of the product. And your existing skill set on the team. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the founder CEO is the de facto product marketer. Like mm-hmm. they're the storyteller from the very beginning to tell people, oh, what this is and what he does and actually talking to customers about, um, about the product. So they are, they're typically, like the founder is typically the first product marketer. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point as the company grow and, and, and scales, and there's a lot more that, that needs to get done. For example, like actually like writing down these messaging in a sales deck or like translating these into a website landing page or do a little bit more research around competitive scenarios and create the battle card for the sales team or, you know, actually creating a thought leadership piece to target your audience or just like, oh, like the, the, the product launch becomes more frequent. So you want someone to actually manage that go to market <coughs> to make sure that particular feature that you are launching next week is, well, hopefully not next week, like next month is, <laughs> is like has, has a clear messaging and every team is stay on the same page and and coordinated about the launch and like all the PR efforts and, and the communication efforts and go-to-market efforts. And that's actually like a lot of work. So that's when um, companies should consider hiring a full-time product marketer to manage all of these above pieces. Yeah. And yeah, so so that's that's like when a product marketer is needed. 
And then there's like, when is a growth marketer is needed? And typically your like your founder is also the first growth marketer is like helping to, to make the deals and especially getting early customers. And then as the company grows and scales, then there's a need of, well, like, our website sucks. We need to yeah. like actually build a website that converts. And yeah. we want to optimize for our SEO and make sure our technical SEO is good and we get our H1s at, a, at, at the right place <laughs> and anchor test at a good place and actually creating content that like, and actually like the people that con- comes from the, the various content actually converts. So you have landing page testing, et cetera. And not to mention like paid media, which which is at a scale stage. My personal opinion is that you want uh, like a product marketer can be hired before product market fit because you're still like testing the different messages and the product marketer can be really helpful in helping to run that process of testing your messages versus a growth marketer. I do feel that you want a growth marketer after you have early signs of a product market fit because you can scale things like really fast and there's all the growth hacking tactics. But if the product is not what the market really needs and wants soon enough that that will fail. And that's like fake interest and fake growth. Like really making sure the product actually hit product market fit is the decision point for hiring a growth marketer. I 100% agree on like product market fit. Yeah, because it's like leaky bucket. If there is no product product market fit, any growth that happens before that is just gonna like not ever scale. I do have an interesting opinion on like growth marketer or product marketer. And for me, it's kind of like dependent on how hyper growth are you trying to be? Because initially, if you're especially if you're pre-product market fit, you probably have very few customers. And so really everything is just hypotheses from a product marketing perspective. And there's no way to really like get that in the market and test for signal. And so for me, it's like you're better off having a growth marketer who can actually like take what would be probably medium quality hypotheses because they're not a product marketer and like get that signal in the market first. And then once you start to actually have customers and like volume there, right? And we're not talking about like a lot of volume, but more volume than you had before product market fit, then that product marketing person can come in and and they're more of a leverage for yes, the website, but like the sales team, right? It's more of a sales enablement initiative, I think at first than for growth marketing support because the growth marketer should feel like they have enough capacity to understand how to test, you know, product, you know, either messaging or positioning enough to get signal. And then that product marketer is really leveraged for the sales team for like battle cards, website, like how can they help, you know, their pitch deck and things like that. And then how did And then from there, once we start seeing more volume, that's when you come back and you see growth, growth marketer and product marketer come together and really lay out like, okay, now we're doing like fully launched integrated campaigns. We need full messaging, right? Like here's messaging by persona, by industry, by vertical. And then it kind of just explodes right now you've scaled. But that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can totally see that as well. It's like, depending on how you define a growth marketer, yeah. it's like if the growth marketer is actually a full stack growth hacker slash a generalist, and they can do lots of things in early days to figure out actually like what's your go-to-market messaging is. And yeah. in that sense, it's like the generalist marketer who's like, 
can write somewhat yeah. doesn't have to be a perfect like writer it was like can write in like a good sentence that people yeah. understand it's full enough <laughs> and they can actually like you know create a i don't know a unbounce page on their own and just like launch it next day and just like test it and that's that's ideal it's like oh yeah like let's get some signal so that we can we, we can craft and iterate i can totally see that uh, working as well and of course, if you have the budget, hire both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as always, if you have money, both. Yes. Well, I think that was a great episode. I always love when it just gets to be me and you and we get to chat about yeah. things that we worked on together and then just hot topics in the market. So next week, episode three, I'm super excited about this season. And thank you, Holly, Holly for always joining me. Thank you, Karina. Always fine. We'll talk later. Bye.